Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Now, our chat room is open, and my lovely partner, Ravinder, as usual, is awaiting you there now. So you can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. I love the chat room. I don't get a chance to participate, of course, during the show, but I read the logs every week, and they're very informative. So, Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. It is a good chat room, a great group of people. I like chatting with all the people in there you know we get people that come in regularly people that just come in once every while um, but they all bring their own experiences um, into the discussion so I learn something new all the time I know everyone else does too plus we have a bit of a laugh in there too so if you want to join us come in to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat all right in today's spotlight we turn our attention to some freedoms that may not be freedoms after all. There was a video on YouTube that caught my attention. An Illinois police officer, arbitrarily stopping a driver at a checkpoint, insisted that travel was not a right, but rather a privilege. The driver, Ryan Scott, had a dash cam that recorded the entire event. Unfortunately, when you watch this video, you can understand how it is that for many... It takes only one bad officer to contaminate opinions about all members of law enforcement. And that's just wrong, and I mean wrong in so many ways. Still, let's think for a moment of our natural rights. Defined by the Online Business Dictionary, natural rights are, and I'll quote, fundamental human rights based on universal natural law, as opposed to those based on man-made positive law. Although there is no unanimity as to which right is natural and which is not, the widely held view is that nature endows every human without any distinction of time or space and without any regard to age, gender, nationality, or race with certain inalienable rights, such as the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness which cannot be abrogated or interfered with by any government, and that, whether or not these rights are enshrined in a national legal code, no government is lawful if it fails to uphold them. Close quote. Okay, so a natural right need not be defined by a Bill of Rights or a Constitution in order for it to be right. Right? Well, perhaps not. Think of your right to travel. Is that a right? I mean, say you want to drive from D.C. to Seattle. Do you have that right? Maybe you just want to drive from your home to work. Is that your right? Well, it may surprise you, but the answer is somewhere between it depends and no. When you obtain your driver's license, you acknowledge that it is not a right, but rather a privilege to drive on state or federal highways. Now, you need a driver's license before you can drive, so it appears that the use of those highways that your tax dollars fund is certainly not a right, but rather a privilege. Indeed, you may need much more than a driver's license, depending on the state you reside in. You may also need vehicle inspection, accident insurance, vehicle registration, and so on. Does that seem right to you? Now, it may surprise you, but the freedom to travel was considered to be so essential that the Magna Carta spelled it out in Article 42 in the year 1215. Now, there are a few modern court cases that have decided in favor of your right to travel. For example, if ever there was a judge that understood the public's right to use the public roads, it was Justice Tolman of the Supreme Court of the state of Washington. 
Justice Tolman stated, quote, Complete freedom of the highways is so old and well-established a blessing that we have forgotten the days of the robber barons and toll roads. And yet, under an act like this, arbitrarily administered, the highways may be completely monopolized. If, through lack of interest, the people submit, then they may look to see the most sacred of their liberties taken from them one by one by more or less rapid encroachment. Close quote. Judge Tallman was concerned about the state limiting or prohibiting the free movement of citizens. Unfortunately, today, your right to be on the highway is not a right, but a privilege, and that can extend to pedestrians as well. The fact is, when you review the rights guaranteed by that old document called the Magna Carta, you may be just completely surprised at how many of those so-called freedoms no longer exist. Thoughts on this one, Ravinder? I'm still stuck on that idea, you know, the rights to be on the roads. There are so many things that we just take for granted. So no, yeah. I find that a bit. But, you know, every time we give up a freedom, and I think this is important for, you know, just balance. Every time we give up a freedom, we gain a protection. Uh, and, that, and, that, and that, of course, is the argument. Now, to an extent, there comes a point where maybe I don't want to give up that freedom for that perceived protection. But when you think about what might, the kind of mayhem that might take place on the highway, some of the crazy drivers I see now that are licensed, I wondered how they ever got their license. But imagine there were no controls. My goodness. So I think, you know, there is a balance in all of this as well. That's true. There's just a different way to think of it all. It's just, as I said, you know, we don't tend to think about it. We take it for granted and then complain when rights go away. So trying to think of, I don't know, the benefits. It is, it is it's all interesting. Yeah. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show was all about why we fail with our resolutions. Chad wrote, great show, very many helpful tips. Thanks for the program. Beth wrote, there were a number of interesting points there. I will, hate, I will have to rethink my resolutions. Thanks, Raven Eldon. Maybe I will actually be successful this year after all. Joy wrote, if only you guys lived next door so I could pick your brain regularly. Thanks, Dr. T and Ravinder for the great advice. Donald wrote this regarding last week's spotlight on Fantasyland. What is the profit of investigating ourselves, beliefs, fantasies, and illusions? This investigation is a hard thing because our ego stands in the way. There must be a treasure that is worth the effort. Well, Donald, uh, the treasure comes from knowing yourself. As Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Why? Well, simply because your life should matter at least to you. L also wrote about the spotlight. Personally, I'm grateful for my calm inner reaction to your spotlight. A couple of months ago, I'd have been overwrought with fear and anxiety. I've been using your Intertalk CDs and I'm actually okay. My sense is that all I can do to help humanity is to continue to become aware. How could we help the world if our mind is jumbled up? I re-examine my illusions and find fantasy land more often than I want to admit. I think many of us, if we are critical of the things that we entertain and believe, find fantasy land on the right, on the left, and in the center. True or false, Rav? Absolutely. And Timothy had this to say about the spotlight. It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Well said, Timothy. That is a quote of Krishnamurti's. CB wrote, Woohoo! Hanging into the pre chat room lounge now, rubbing hands together. Little gray cells crying out for PE nourishment. Been listening since pre Hay House Radio and Contact Talk Radio days. Well, thank you, CB. We do appreciate you. Moving on, Emily wrote, I am always recommending Intertalk to my friends, family, and clients. Dr. Mara wrote, I have found the Intertalk CDs useful for a number of clients, including for weight loss, accelerated healing and well-being, pre- and post-operative support. We're glad of that. 
Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Now to today's show, the Code of Trust, an American counterintelligence expert's five rules to lead and succeed with Mr. Robin Drake. Now, this is a great book. It is a great read, the Code of Trust. It is a read that gave me goosebumps. It even, you know, brought up, there are a couple of stories that brought up a, a bit of a, you know, I'm trying to find a better word than sob, but, you know, tears to my eyes. How's that? Okay. Very well done. A very important issue in the times that we live in. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Robin Dreek is the author of The Code of Trust. He is also a Naval Academy graduate, former Marine, former head of the Federal Behavioral Analysis Program, the BAU, and is currently an FBI agent. He entered federal law enforcement in 1997. He received advanced training and operational experience in social psychology and in practical application of the science of relationship development. Eventually, he rose to direct the BAU in a federal law enforcement agency. Okay, on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Robin Drake. Hey, thanks very much, Eldon. Uh, thank, I really appreciate you guys having me on today. Oh, it's, it's indeed my pleasure, and I, I hope you heard. I really enjoyed your book. It, it is a truly great read, and I think an important read. Thanks. But we uh, like to know three things on this show, Robin. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And how do we use it? Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure that most of our listeners are familiar with the television show Criminal Minds, so they have an idea of what the BAU is. So if we may, let's begin by telling us about yourself and why your interest in the BAU. Um, it's, it's a funny story, especially listening to your lead in and uh, knowing how really cognitive you are about what you do and how you do it and how we live, live our lives. Um, it really start, started all those years ago, um, you know, with the Naval Academy and even before that, you know, some people are born with this natural desire and drive to lead and, and be in charge and hopefully be a, become an inspiring type of individual. And, and I was one of those guys that wanted to be that way. Um, it's why I dedicated my life to public service. But what uh, unfortunately I found out along the path was that I was I was not naturally equipped uh, with these uh, charismatic and great leadership skills. Matter of fact, I was a, a fantastic failure at them. And but because of the positions that um, that presented themselves before me, both in leadership and inter- which is all nothing but interpersonal relationships, um, I was very fortunate to one be aware enough that I was failing, and another fortunate aspect was I was surrounded by some real greatness and I I really tried to study the best I could you know the most successful human beings that I was privileged to encounter what were they actually doing when they were doing what they were doing so well and that was interacting and inspiring trust with those around them because anytime you know anytime I, I feel you have an emotional reaction to someone or something uh, it's not just a thing. It's not a subjective thing. It's very cognitive is what someone's doing. So I really tried to understand exactly what they were behaviorally doing um, to inspire this kind of trust and be this kind of leader. So that's how it all started. And um, you get better at it or you get out with most things in life. And it really it kind of it, as I gained different positions to um, I, it's behavioral analysis programs, what I ran. So it's different than the BAUs. Um, they're, they're on the criminal side and I work on the counterintelligence side. Which is even harder because I generally am dealing with regular human beings, um, not criminals. Interesting. Your your humility is also, uh, I think, transparent in the book and obviously in just the way you addressed my first question. Um, You know, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but how important is humility to trust? It's the cornerstone. Uh, it's part of the ego and vanity. Um, I call the it, – it's funny. I get dinged sometimes for calling the code of trust flawless because they think it's an ego statement, and it's not. The code of trust is nothing more than a, a system of empathy and a system of inspiring people to be the best that they can be. And the thing that makes it – the only thing that will cause it to flaw is your own ego and vanity. So um, it is – 
it, it, it's the cornerstone of everything. It's our ego and vanity that gets in the way of our mouth. You know, in, in, in our deep core sense of self, when we wake up in the beginning of the day, we want to treat people well. We want to be a, a resource to the prosperity of others. Um, at least most of us, I always get one or two that raise their hand and say, nope, not me. Um, but we, uh, <laughs> but what happens through the course of a day is that, you know, the cognitive, the non-cognitive brain, you know, takes over and get emotionally hijacked, stressed, anxiety, discontentment, resentment, and that bypasses what's coming out of our mouth. And uh, and we become very egocentric in those moments because we ha- hit that fight or flight in every different kind of form and level. And we start saying statements that are very self-centered and very self-serving. And when we're doing that, that's our ego taking over. And that's when um, trust starts falling apart. Hey, Amen. You heard the spotlight today, Robin. Yes, there's a lot of concern among many regarding the abridgment of human rights. And yet there is a need for balance in order to properly protect the people who these rights are supposed to belong to. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, as a member of law enforcement, how do you see this delicate balance playing out? And and are we heading in the direction you want your children to inherit? Um, I I was thinking about it hard while you were speaking and and. Yet, I, I think we are heading in an okay direction as long as we maintain uh, the majesty of checks and balances. And what I was trying to really boil it down into, you know, how do you maintain that balance uh, between, you know, giving, you know, too much uh, leeway, taking leeway back, giving privileges, not privileges, what's a right, what's not a right. And what it really came back down to me again, as uh, I, I try to anchor everything into the code uh, with me because it keeps it really simple, and that is healthy relationships. If if what you're doing and the action either the government or you as an individual is taking is for the betterment of healthy relationships and the right of life and the pursuit of healthy relationships and, and a personal's prosperity, if it's for that reason, then that's an OK reason to do. And if you're because you're really because you're really in my mind, you're really not giving something up if the end state is that you're looking for is healthy relationships, prosperity, um, because with those two things, the world flows. All right, let's let's go directly into the code then. But but why did you write the book? <laughs> um, I was inspired to. And it was a compulsion, and that compulsion. I'm laughing because uh, I, I'm I'm often told by friends that knew me 25 years ago. Well, I wrote the book because I needed a manual, not how not to be the person I was born to be. <laughs> 49 years ago, <laughs> it's a. Uh, it, it, I wrote it for for when I teach and I speak about this. I wrote it for everyone, and here's how I wrote it for everyone, um, and why I wrote it. Because half the world, approximately, was born being a natural born leader, natural born communicator, the, the ones with great empathy, and a lot of times, since it's a it's a subjective art form that they were born with, they have a very very hard time articulating what exactly they're doing to cause this effect that they have with the people around them. You know, the, the people that you just are naturally gravitated to, you naturally want to share your deep, dark secrets with, your feelings with, your emotions, your highs and lows. Some people are naturally that kind of person that you want to talk to. And the other half of us want to be that way, or you're trying to be an inspirational leader, you're trying to be effective, you're, you want to be charismatic, you're trying to be that person that you see them being. You want to be attract, you know, attractive to all types of people in that way. But they have no idea how to do it. And so you have one set that understands – no, you have one set that is doing it but has no understand how to say it or teach it. And then you have the other set has no idea because all the other person says is, well, you just need to be more like me. Well, what this book does is it takes that art form and makes it a paint-by-number. You know, I, I, and I'm still studying. You know, you know, as you know, life is not a destination. It's a journey. And, and so the journey that brought me to this book was to the point where I'm, I understood what exactly these great individuals were doing. Um, so that way, you know, I mean, my one, and you've read the book, you know, one of my stories, you know, a failure in the Marine Corps is, you know, being ranked last out of all these other second and first lieutenants and going up to the, the major and saying, all right, what am I doing wrong? I get it. And he just said, you just need to be a better leader. And those be like statements were very frustrating to me because what's be like, I need some action tools. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what the code of trust is. And that's why I wrote it. I, I wrote action tools so that people could that wanted to again you have to have a desire to be a, a, a better uh, a more it won't be better because there's no better or worse in my in my world and how i see things you want to be more complete you want to add dimensions to yourself that you don't have and this gives you an action tool for doing it 
before we're through, hopefully we're going to get to your 15 drills of trust for trust muscles. Um, but, but, you know, you, if that was your goal, you did an outstanding job. Now, this is a bit of an aside from the aim of how you use trust in your book. But my question to you bears relevance to who, you know, you are and your background, training and research. So here goes. Trust is a, a major issue today everywhere. I mean, we don't know who to believe. Yep. I mean, who are we to trust? What media outlet, pundit, politician, neighbor, fellow worker, you know, on and on. The fact is, folks all lie. Indeed, in an interview with Professor Dan Ariely right here on this show, addressing this very subject, he informed us that not only do we all lie, but it's contagious. It's because we all lie and want to pretend that we don't that a forced lie during lie detection examination has any chance at establishing a meaningful control. So, Robin, if we all lie, I mean, and your book opens this way. It opens mm-hmm. with who is it that you can trust? Who are we to trust and why? I, you know, you hit that thing with lying and deception, and it's one of, it's actually one of the cornerstones for trust is open, honest communications. And, I, you know, so we'll go on the premise that, okay, all people lie. So how, if all people lie, how are you supposed to establish trust and who can you trust? Well, okay, so if everyone lies, how many of those people are actually intentionally lying or are they doing it by a course of action that's being imposed on them, you know, a rapid response to something, defensiveness, something like that? So because I, very rarely do people go out of their way to intentionally lie. It's just like you said, um, it's just kind of a, a course of action of interaction. So one way that I'm looking for and what I'm always looking for is – and we pick up on this as human beings, by the way. You know, we get this incongruence between that which being said and the nonverbals that are going off. And so our our spider senses generally start tingling. We're not really good at seeing what what exactly was the lie, but we're really good at picking up on these incongruences. Something that just seems a little off. I don't quite understand why you're saying one thing, but I'm not quite getting that same feeling from you. Um, those are the types of things that when someone feels that way, and the way you keep trust going and you establish trust is you have clarity, you have transparency. So if someone feels uncomfortable with something, if someone's not clear on what exactly you said or why you said something, when they question it, if you're actually having a good, healthy, trusting relationship, that person will offer full transparency on their thoughts and actions of what exactly they were trying to say and do. And so I, I'm never looking really for deception. I'm looking for transparency. Um, because if I got full transparency, I got I got a lot of trust going, and I can really count on you to do the things you say you're going to do most of the time. <laughs> most of the time, I like that. Well, I think you know, as you point out, you, the research shows you bring a couple of people together that are strangers for the first time, and you you let them have a conversation. I mean, that's the the project. Mm-hmm. Take three minutes, get to know one another. Uh, invariably, both sides will exaggerate, and they will do so in that first three minutes. Um, we can call it an exaggeration, but, I mean, it, it, it is a lie, uh, and it may be about their importance. I think, <laughs> as you point out in the book, uh, 40% of the dialogue that goes on uh, is about ourselves as opposed to mm-hmm. listening to the other person. We've got a break, Robin. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about how important it is to listen. Um, And we'll pick it up from here, all right? right, We're speaking with Mr. Robin Dreek about his work and book, The Code of Trust. And I can't, again, I can't recommend it too highly, not just because it's so well written and you're going to enjoy the book and it has some powerful information in it, but because it's a very needed thing in, in our society today. We, li- we live at a time of distrust, and the distrust is dividing us more and more. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at peopleformula.com. That's one word, peopleformula.com. Now, we have a video for you in our chat room featuring Robin discussing his book. So if you're not in the chat room already, now's the time to get on over there, and you can do that by going to Provocative Enlightenment dot com forward slash chat please stay tuned we'll be right back you're listening to provocative enlightenment with elton taylor change has never been easier whether you wish to lose weight stop smoking 
build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicky wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Mr. Robin Dreek about his work and book, The Code of Trust. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at peopleformula.com. Now, we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. Music psychology is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, a hobby of mine, and some of those areas include intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. You'd be surprised sometimes at the self-disclosure we get from our guests by their music choices. All right, I think I set you up for that one, Robin, especially (laughs) knowing what the words are. We just played your choice, Meatloaf, Performing Paradise by Dashboard Light. Why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are? Um, that was really funny. I was having a good time choosing which one uh, to give you. I have a really eclectic uh, love of different types of music, and um, I chose that one just because memories, you know, from high school, you know, the the formation of our brains and 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 becoming who we are is it's a great time in life. As a matter of fact, that's probably the time in our lives between the you know before the prefrontal lobes fully formed there between ages nine and nineteen where you're we're probably our truest selves before the world messes us totally up. And so uh, I just like uh, it's just good memories from that time period in life. Uh, well, I love the beat, but I'm going to have to go at you a little <laughs> bit here because this one's too much fun. You're married, right? Oh yeah. Matter of fact, my yeah. wife is the one that said I should do that one. <laughs> she did. So you discussed yeah. it with her. Okay. Because no, the lyrics of this, I can't wait to die because I promised you when I was 17 in and order to get has, some action that I'd love you to me. Yeah, and he starts out lying and he comes to truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right. It was, it was either right, that but... or Adele. I I, lo- I love Adele as well. So my wife's like, no, you got to do something better than that. I was like, all right. Well, like... <laughs> well uh, all right. Uh, get my composure back here before the break. <laughs> I said we were. I was going to ask you about how important listening was to trust. Mm-hmm. So let's pick it up there. Sure. Um, it is. It, it's paramount to trust because one of the things that Matt, I was even thinking about. You know, your group of you know individuals that don't know each other when they're getting together. What are they doing? They're very insecure, so they're trying to self-promote so they can be accepted into the group of group or tribe, and they're seeking validation and affiliation, and um, because that's what as human beings what we're seeking. We're seeking because our ancient tribal brains, you know, um, ten, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, um, being part of a tribe meant survival. And so, when we are feeling have feelings of affiliation and being valued, our brain is, you know, the dopamine's flowing, serotonin, and oxytocin, and bloodstream. Our, our our sensories are going off in fireworks, saying that this is good for us. So, listening is part of that because when you are actually listening and and seeking to understand the individual in which you're engaging without judging them, not, you know, so you need to do this non-judgmentally, put your ego and vanity aside and all your own thoughts and opinions of why you think they might be wrong. But when you're sitting there and actually listening and seeking to understand the individual and their context of how they see the world, their brain is firing. Their brain is saying, you accept me for who I am and we can move on from there. So that's why it's that important. You you um, have five rules of engagement. Um, suspend your ego, be non-judgmental, honor reason, validate others, be generous. Flesh that out for us. What's that about? I mean, it seems to come right off the back of the importance of listening. Sure. Um, we, we discussed suspend your ego already. It's the cornerstone of how to interact with another human being because you need to be able to you need to always be able to talk in terms of them. And I have four ways in which to do that we can talk about later. But that's what part of suspend your ego is being nonjudgmental. It it it, it piggybacks off of suspending your ego and being nonjudgmental means that not necessarily that you are agreeing with someone, but you're just not judging how they make the choices in their lives. You're seeking to understand why it is they made those choices. And, and being in law enforcement and working what I work, you know, I've met some individuals and, and interviewed them and worked with them or even whether they were going to jail or not. You know, I'm not judging who it is there as they are as a human being. It's seeking to understand why it is they are who they are. Um, so that's not being judgmental. Honoring reason, that is – that's what I call going to science experiment mode. As soon as you get emotionally hijacked in in situations and you want to react rather than think through it, I make sure I start honoring reason. And honoring reason to me is I immediately go to the code of trust. And I first question I always ask myself is, what is what I'm about to do or say going to help or hinder what it is I'm actually trying to accomplish? And am I in talking in terms of them or am I talking in terms of me? Because as soon as you can start thinking and cognating through those moments, you know that emotional hijacking will start flushing away and you're honoring reason. Four is validating of others. Um, again, it's 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 one of those circular things like being non-judgmental and suspending your egos. But validation is another way in which I seek to understand, and that's um, that's where your listening really comes in um, very very well. Then finally is being generous. Again, an ancient tribal man. You know, if if ten guys, fifteen guys go out on a hunt, and one of them makes a kill, he comes back to the tribe. What should he do? Well, he should share the meat because if he doesn't and isn't generous, the likelihood of him being taken care of if he becomes sick, lame, injured, or elderly later on in life is slim to none. So we are genetically coded for generosity and reciprocating that generosity. So if you're the one that takes that initial step to be generous, the likelihood of reciprocity is really high. But the, the key to the code of trust, though, is manage your own expectations. If you're doing things and being generous because you want something in return, well, now you're doing it all for yourself. you got to do it with no expectations of reciprocity, and that's where the true gold lies. Uh, that so reminds me of a story in your book, but I, I want to take, I, I want to play with this for a minute before I go to the sergeant and, uh, and oh, sure. the story that you tell of Sergeant Howell in the book, um, cause it's so fit. So if I may, mm-hmm. um, on a reason, um, it, it seems to me that today, especially as divided as our country is over so many issues, whether it's, you know, kneeling during the anthem in football games or it's um, dressing in black or, you know, just everything, mm-hmm. it, 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 it all appears to be trumped 
by emotion as opposed yep. to you know really how do you how do you suggest people cultivate more reason when they're processing these emotional issues it i i'm always asking myself and i encourage people to ask themselves you know why is it they're doing what they're doing what's the actual, what's their actual goal what are they actually trying to achieve and then ask yourself is what they're doing is it helping or hindering what it is they're trying to achieve you know, I get this. I get this question a lot. With I work with law enforcement. You know, saying someone says to me once, "Well, what would you say to you know, really you know, hardcore angry mobs and groups? You know, that have you know, and I won't name any because as soon as you name one, you're, you're taken aside, and I'm not. So you know, any angry mob or group or organization or political party or, or anything that shows up someplace and are yelling, screaming, throwing things, being anarchists, burning things. I mean, whatever you want to do to call attention to yourself. The first thing I ask is, you know, I would call the leader aside and just ask him. I said, what's your actual goal here? What are you trying to do? Um, you'd be surprised about how non-cognitive and non-thoughtful most of the reactions that people have are. You know, because the first yeah. thing I'd like to try to do is I ask people, what is it you're trying to achieve? Because a lot of times people have no idea what they're doing and why they're doing it. So when I'm observing, you know, things in our country, the divisiveness, I, I take that step back and ask, well, what are you actually trying to achieve by doing these things? And and unfortunately, you can see that most of the time it's just it's, it's just hyped up media trying to sell markets and market shares because mm -hmm. only sensationalized things sell money. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious when you take that step back. Yeah, there seems to be a real disconnect between action and objective. You know, if you're mm -hmm. doing something and yes. your objective is, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ex express a partiality of my own uh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> as opposed to dodge. You know, if you're kneeling during the national anthem, I get your protest. I understand what you're trying to do, but that's not the time and the place to do it. And if you look, if as an athlete you look at this is my objective to reform the judicial process, mm -hmm. then is this action actually headed that direction or is it right. alienating people? Is it, um, you know, is it indeed even hurting the business of football? Uh, so that's what I say. Is there a, there seems to me to be a real disconnect between objective and behavior today in very many instances. And, and you know, uh, it, it, it is, and it is a great example um, because what happens is, is if when the when an individual or a group or organization takes an action um, for their objective, but they but they take the action before they've articulated the objective, you now have lots of different people, different groups and organizations implanting on you what they thought the objective was, and right. so that's when it gets really really muddy. Um, because some people said it was, uh, you know, he's, he's taken knee and he's anti-military. He's anti-country. He's anti this. Well, what was his objective? Did you even know what it was, but you're implanting what you think it is on. So that's where it gets really chaotic. Um, and you're right. It's, you lose all thoughtful process about what it's all about and everyone winds up losing. Yep. Everybody does. Tell us, you, you have a, a number of wonderful stories and I'll ask you later to tell us your favorite, but. You know, one that gave me goosebumps and really did cause a little bit of tearing up is the story that you tell uh, of Sergeant. Uh, what, what, I have to pull it out here. Is that Hal? Yeah, Hal. Sergeant Hal. There we go. Of Sergeant Hal. Share that story with our audience, will you? Because I think that's 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 an example of true leadership. That's also an example of something you said earlier about. Well, you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not doing it. Uh, it's unconditional. You're not doing it for a reward. Sure. Um, and that uh, the names have been changed to protect the innocent in there. So, uh, um, but the the cornerstone of this story, it was really, it was probably the first time in in my life where I understood what it meant to uh, to take care of your people. I mean, I'd heard it a number of times before. Um, but I just didn't get it because this is the first time I threw myself in the line of fire figuratively. I wasn't, you know, in line of bullets, but I threw my career in jeopardy, uh, for someone else intentionally. Um, we had a situation, I was, I was a 
series commander. It's like a company commander down at Paris Island. I was in charge of 16 drill instructors. And what had happened was during the end of the training process, uh, training cycle for boot camp, um, one set of my uh, one of my platoons was helping another platoon out by cleaning the squad bay up for him while the others outside getting inspected by a colonel. Anyway, what had happened was one of the recruits comes in and he had his final pay, uh, which was $800 at the time. And this is before direct deposit was very common. Uh, and so he had $800 stolen out of, his, out of his footlocker by a Marine of recruit in the other platoon. And it's a it's it's illegal. Well, it's illegal. It's against policy um, for a drill instructor in a position of authority to pass the hat, so to speak, to collect money on behalf of anyone or anything because of that position of authority. It's undue influence, and people can really take advantage of it. Right. Well, Sergeant Hal had, uh, for some reason, I, I have no idea why, I didn't really have a great relationship with our company commander, my boss. And so my boss comes to me and says, make sure you give a direct order to Sergeant Hal to not collect money on behalf of this recruit. Now, the backstory on this recruit was he came from a very small town in Mississippi where he lived in a trailer, and that $800 was the only money his family had to pay his rent for a couple months. And you to throw that on top of Sergeant Howe was probably one of the best Marines I've ever met in my entire life. Matter of fact, he went on and became a sergeant major in the Marine Corps. Um, and he was older than me, more experienced than I was, and the recruits loved him. He's one of those hardcore kind of guys that you know, would kick you in the butt, poke in the eye, but that you loved him for it because he cared so deeply about you. Yeah. And, his, and, his, and his recruits loved him. So I knew if I had given him a direct order to not take up a collection uh, for this young boy um, that needed that money to go home, he was going to do it anyway because he was going to take care of his young Marine. I mean, there was no malintent here. He's going to take care of his Marine. And right. so – but if I had given him that direct order of doing it, I was passing a buck onto him and I was setting him up for failure. And I made the conscious decision not to do that. I went to him and said, hey, um, I don't want to know why or how. Just take care of our problem. And he goes, no, no problem, sir. I'll take care of it. End of the end of the cycle happens. Um, I don't hear anything about it. Nothing seems to go wrong. And I after the recruits graduated, I said, hey, Sergeant Hal, how'd our problem work on? He goes, no problem, sir. Problem solved. And I go, great. Don't want to hear about it anymore. I thought I was fine and clear. Then two weeks later, I get a call. Um, that young recruit had gone bragging at his next duty station about how his senior drill instructor really took care of him and passed that hat for him and didn't get all the money back, but was able to get about $400 out of the 800 back for him so he could go home, give some to his family. So the boss, the colonel calls me in the office with the captain. The captain's jumping up and down, all happy that, hey, he says, we finally got Sergeant Hal. And I go, nope, we don't. And man, he goes, why? And I said, I never gave him the order. His, his smoke started to come out of his ears. And uh, my heart dropped. I, I, I thought I'm done because if you get relieved of command uh, in the Marine Corps, your career's over before it even started. And I, I did it intentionally because I knew he was going to be a much better Marine than I'd ever be and be much more successful and everything else. So I, I threw myself on the fire on that one. Well, the good news there was that uh, the colonel was a very reasonable, good, compassionate man. And he he told the captain, thank you very much, get out of the room. He looked at me and says, um, that was wrong what you did, slapped me on the wrist. He goes, I think you're just a little too close to your Marines. We'll just move your company over to here. So he got me away from that captain and I kept going. But it was the first time I actually intentionally threw myself um, in my career on the fire to protect someone else. And it made an impact. You know, and some people would say, well, who was the offender? What happened where he was concerned? Did he go on, be a bad Marine? Uh, you know, what happened to these other people that were involved? And your book kind of fleshes that out. So I'm going to ask yeah. you to give me the epilogue. Yeah, so as you heard, you know, um, the Sergeant Howe went on to a very great and prosperous career, um, and uh, in the Marine Corps, and the uh, the recruit wound up being a you know working as a president of the clear defense contractor uh, close to me here. Um, I've actually I bumped into him 20 years later, and we're good friends today. Uh, he's very successful. It's pretty remarkable, actually. Actually, no, I'm no kidding. Um, talking about small world, I had lunch with him today. <laughs> It's a remarkable book. Everybody should read this. You know, we're, we're getting short on time, and I've got so many questions, but I want our, our listening audience to get an idea of some of the tools they can actually apply because the book is written that way. I mean, you know, here it is. It is, uh, what you call it, pay my numbers. That's a good way to pay express point. it. Yeah. So let's, let's go, if we can, to 15 drills that, you know, you – 
you use, uh, analogically, of course, to build your mm-hmm. trust muscles. Uh, uh, what, what do you mean by establish a time constraint? Um, I love this one. Um, it, it's probably the easiest thing to do and the thing that we don't do all that often with people. And the first time you do it intentionally, it's going to feel a little weird, but you're going to love the effect. Basically, by establishing a time constraint, you're going to let someone know when the end is in sight. And if you're doing it really well, you're going to let them know when the end is in sight and ask them if it's okay to have it go that long. <laughs> because no one likes to be controlled. No one likes to know that this thing is going to go on forever. It's a difference, I'd like to say, between sitting down to, next to a stranger in a restaurant or a bar or somewhere and saying, hey, can I buy you a drink? That's like, who are you? Shields up, never ending. Uh, as, a, as Same as if I walked up to a stranger or had an interview with someone and said, hey, do you want to cooperate with the United States government? Wow, shields up, who are you? Get away from me. It's very open-ended. As opposed to saying something like, um, especially on the government one where I'm going for cooperation. Hey, so sorry to bother you. Don't want to waste your time. Um, if you give me 30 seconds, I kind of, kind of explain what my priorities are. And I, I, I think I got an idea what yours are, but I'd like to hear what yours are too. And if you want, we can maybe agree to get together for maybe three cups of coffee over the next month. We can talk about each other's priorities and see if we can be resources for each other. If not, no harm, no foul. We go our separate ways. Um, what we did there is we made it all about them. And by establishing that time constraint right at the beginning, you're saying it's about you. I value your time because if I know nothing about any other individual, the best thing I'm going to do is I'm going to value your time. Very important. So what do you mean by use uh, third-party reference technique? Sure. Number two, um, especially if you're meeting a stranger for a first time, a lot of times, you know, if you start asking questions about them right off the bat, um, shields are up. You know, they're very, people get very defensive because they're wondering what you're probing for. If you start talking about yourself, why do they care? All you're doing is now boring them to death. But when you can seek thoughts and opinions like about a third party reference, in other words, um, a new cell phone they have, a thought and opinion on you know, what they're currently doing, um, what's currently going on in politics, if, if, you're, it's a, if it's a safe topic and hurry for you to talk about that. But you know, seek a thought and opinion about something other than yourself or them, but maybe something in the environment, just so they get comfortable with the fact that you're there to listen and pay attention to them and not talk about yourself. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to ask you all of these, quite obviously, because <laughs> for two reasons. We don't have the time, but more importantly, I want everybody to actually get this book because this is just a skeleton. The rest of the book hangs all the flesh on it and puts all the meaning in it. But you know, you speak of the speed of trust. What, what do you mean we should all speak at the speed of trust? Don't oversell. That that's uh, particularly meant for extroverts and people from the Northeast like me that tend to talk really <laughs> fast. Um, you can you can really come across as disingenuous and overselling if you are speaking at a speed in which it's too far out of the demographic for the individual in which you're speaking. And what I mean by that is, you can't be too slow either. You just have to have, speak with a tempo and a tenor and an intonation that is appealing to the individual in which you're talking to. So one, they can hear you with clarity and they can understand what it is you're saying. If you go too slow, you know, in other words, if you have someone from the deep south talking to someone from the deep north, you know, it's too incongruent, then you might lose them. Um, but you want to speak a little slower for the demographic in which you're speaking, have good modulation, good tenor and the whole intent here is to have clarity and transparency so that the other person isn't wondering what it is you're saying and what the meaning is behind what you're saying. Tell us this, Robert. For everybody out there listening, why is it important that we build trust? I mean, what if I don't want to be a leader? Um, how do, why is this book relevant? How can I use it in everyday life? We use trust with everything because trust is behind relationships and without trust, you won't have healthy relationships. Without healthy relationships, you have nothing. Um, what, probably one of the things I've learned on this path is that you can have all the skills in the world. You can be a rocket scientist. You can be, you know, Einstein. But all that knowledge without relationships is completely useless. Um, because if there's no one to share it with, if there's no one to interact with it, if there's no one to benefit from it, What's the use of it? So and if we were meant to be alone, we wouldn't be here with all these millions and billions of people on this planet. You know, so trust comes down to relationships and without relationships, healthy relationships, you're really wandering the universe alone. Yeah. 
Well, you could add into that one very quickly. Without those relationships, you're giving up your very health, physical health. So says Absolutely. the literature, the research. Absolutely. So. Guaranteed. Robin, you know, we've got about a minute left. I want in that time for you to tell everybody how they can learn more about you, where you might be speaking in a public way that they might attend, um, any blogs you might have, and, of course, where to get your book. Um, sure, and thanks. Uh, easiest thing for me is to go, and you mentioned at the beginning, is peopleformula.com. It's all one word, peopleformula.com. Got lots of links on there to uh, me doing keynote speeches and, and podcasts and radio shows like your own. So if you didn't get enough death by Robin in the last hour, you have even more. Um, and lots of different ways in which I frame it, too, because trust is trust, whether, you're, like you said, whether it's in leadership or just for healthy relationships, anywhere like that. Um, you follow me on Twitter. Uh, my um, my hashtag is R-D-R-E-E-K-E, so it's R-Dreek. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Robin.Dreek on LinkedIn. Those are probably the two big uh, things I do to keep uh, people abreast. And what I and the fun thing about what I do is I, I don't do a lot of self-promotion. I share a lot of science and research on areas of, of what we spoke about today. Healthy, ma- healthy mind, healthy mental states, uh, good healthy relationships, um, and how they all lead to prosperity. Um, and so you, you can get my book anywhere. It's on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Books a Million, Pals. It's, it's, uh, I have a good publisher. They're good, good folks that put it all over the place, so it's really easy to get a hold of. Okay. Again, The Code of Trust, an American counterintelligence expert's five rules to lead and succeed. And believe me, the succeed is prosperity in all walks of your life, including your health and wellness. I want to thank you, Robin, for your willingness to share it with us. Uh, it, it is a sensational read. Thank you, sir. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have him join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at eldentaylor.com.